All right, I will say good morning, good morning, a good tevach. It is such a schuz baruch Hashem to be able to continue in another week of learning. Begin by thanking all of our incredible sponsors. We dedicate our learning first off in the zechus for Rafu Shalema for Zechariah Dov Ben Peral Shira. Merit Hashem, we hope that this little boy has a complete refuah together with Kol Chole Yisrael. We thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Menachem Av, Benjamin and Elise Wall from Netanya Eretz Yisrael for dedicating all the Sherman Rushels this month in honor of Moshe Abramson and Jeremy Lassie who make the Shi'urim available to all those outside of our physical base measures. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Said and Simahakin for a Fushim for Avram Ben Zinat and for the Hatzlacha for the entire family and to thank Michael and Linda and Leah, sorry, Ed, Edin, in memory of Leah's brother, Yonasan Siegel, Yonasan Ben Yosef, Sichron Levracha, whose yard site is on the 11th of Av. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama have an Aliyah, the family in Nechama. And to thank Menachem and Susie Schoenfeld for dedicating the Mizonos this morning in memory of Rabbi Weingat, Sichron Levracha. We hope that in the merit of the brachas, in the merit of the Talmud Torah, the Neshama have an Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. Bosi, with that, let us begin. We have Bar Hashem. A lot to do today. I'm sorry, say it again. In honor of Shalom Melech. Did you send me this? Of Shalom HaMelech? No, I'm not. I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me just. Let me, let, no, I got, no, I got, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. Okay. Oh, got it. I'm sorry. I, I didn't see the whole. I didn't see the whole sponsorship. I'm sorry. So I'll leave for the neshama of Shalom Zev Ben Rab David Arye Weingat and in the schus of Shlomo Hamelach. Beautiful. Okay, great, excellent, excellent. Can't go wrong with that. It's not going to be bad. Hey, so let, let, let us begin. We have a lot. We have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. So today's daf is Samech sixty-eight. We are picking up a Mirat Hashem on Samech Zayin on the base sixty-seven B. We are picking up two, four, six, eight, nine lines up from the bottom. Let's go. Amrle Reish Kalusa Rav Sheshes. Reish Kalusa said to Rav Sheshes, "My time of Osad Mar Gaban. Why do you not dine with us?" I said, "Reish Kalusa, ask Rav Sheshes, why don't you? Why don't you eat with us?" Amrle to Lo Malu Avi Dechashide Edvam Minachai. Very simple. I don't trust your kashos. I don't trust your kashos. I am nervous that ultimately, again, your servants are going to serve me Eber Menachai. What is Eber Menachai? Eber Menachai means a limb taken off of a living animal. So Reish Kalusa was like a, like a shtickle offended. What, what do you mean? You know, you tell me you don't, my standards aren't up to your standards. That's fine. But remember, if you go ahead and you say that my servants are serving Eber Menachai, that means I'm eating. Tarfos as well. I'll show you. So Shesha says to his servant, Zil Gnuf, I see the Chadakara Michiusa. I see like so we'll say so now what happens? So, so Rav Shesha had an interesting idea. He told his servant, Go the, the, the servant says Shalusa are preparing an animal, go and steal one of the limbs of the animal and bring it to me. Okay. I So what happens? So we'll say, so now the Rish Kalusa servants are preparing food. They can't find one of the limbs of the animal. So what do they do? They bring out the tray of food, and there's only three legs. Three legs. So Rav Shesh said, huh, that's an interesting animal. Did the animal only have three legs? So the servants of the Rish Kalusa were embarrassed. What did they do? Sure enough, what did they do? They took a limb 
off of another living animal, quickly prepared it, added it to the dish. At this point, Rav Sheshes tells his servant, why don't you produce the leg of the animal that you took from the kitchen earlier? To which Rav Sheshes says, to which Rav Sheshes says to the servants of Rish Kalusa, did this animal have five legs? So he, he proved his point. He proved his point. And I'll say, by the way, you know what's fascinating about this particular story? Is, so here, they really were, they really were, they really were serving Abraham in Achai. He had to prove it in a very conclusive way. What's fascinating about this was, you know, when confronted with reality that the animal was missing a leg, the servants of the Rish Galusa could have simply said, we can't find it. We don't know what happened to this extra leg. It's an interesting thing how in life, very often what happens is when people are confronted with a, with a particular reality that they can't readily explain, we'd so often rather invent things than just confronting the truth. In other words, the truth here would have just simply been, we couldn't find the leg. We don't know what happened. But instead of going ahead and acknowledging that reality, they tried to create an entire alternative reality to go ahead and justify the absence of the leg. Sometimes just acknowledging the truth of a situation is so much easier than going ahead and inventing alternative realities. In any event, so now at this point in time, Rav Sheshes has proven to the Rish Galusa why he can't go ahead and dine with him. So the Gemara says, So now the Rish Galusa says to Rav Sheshes, Rav Sheshes, what about if my servants prepare a meal for you in your presence? In your presence, this way you can see all the food prep and you'll be able to eat. Rav Sheshes is fine. No problem. Happy to do that. So, so sure enough, so what happened? So they brought a platter of meat before Rav Sheshes. So what happened? So they brought before Rav Sheshes. So at this point in time, one could imagine the servants of the Reish Kalusa did not like Rav Sheshes very much, right? Because again, he showed them up in front of the Reish Kalusa. And again, now their entire integrity is questioned, rightfully so. So what do they do? They brought before him a piece of meat, Resanta Dechanka Chamsa. They brought before him a piece of meat that had a very small bone. The bone itself was usually undetectable, but was a dramatic choking hazard. They purposely gave this piece of meat to Rav Sheshes with the hope that he would choke on it. And choke on it. So Gashesha, Gashesha, Vishakle, Karacha Besudre. So Rav Sheshes, and I will say, obviously Rav Sheshes himself <coughs> is on heightened alert <coughs> because he recognizes the servants of the Rish Kalusa do not like him very much. So what did he do? He saw that this piece of meat had this little bone that was the choking hazard. So what did he do? He took the piece of meat, he wrapped it, he wrapped it in a, in a cloth. So again, he wasn't going to make a big deal out of this, but obviously he also wasn't going to eat a piece of meat. Now the servants of the Rish Galusa realized that he did not eat the portion they prepared for him. So what did they do? So we'll say, so they were trying to now show, they were trying to show now that Rav Sheshes is just interesting in making problems. Because he accused us of Eber Menachai, fine. So he won't eat food that we prepare. And even when preparing in front of him, he's still not eating. So the boss of the Achel, Amrle, after the meal was finished, they said, Tap of Samechas, Rav Osei, Egnav Lekasa de Kaspa. Somebody took a silver cup. 
So I'll say, so what they were saying is as they were, as they were clearing off the meal, they said there's a piece of silverware that's missing. So they wanted to check all of the guests to see perhaps had someone gone ahead and pocketed some of the Reish Kalusa's silverware. So as they're searching all of the guests, which must have been an interesting experience, right? So they're searching all of the guests. Sure enough, what do they find? That Rav Sheshes has something wrapped in a cloth. So what happens? So sure enough, what do they discover in, in Rav Sheshes' cloth? The piece of meat that they had prepared for him. So they say to the servants of the Rish Kalusa, say to Rish Kalusa, you see, this guy is not interested in dining with us. He's only interested in making problems. Right? If we prepare the food in the kitchen, he accuses us of Eva Menachai. If he prepared in front of him, he still doesn't eat it. So ultimately, Rosh says, No, no, no. I would have been happy to eat. But I tasted that the animal had leprosy. We did not prepare any animal with leprosy. Ultimately, he says, go and check the animal again, and go and check a particular place in the animal. Black spots on a white animal, white spots on a black animal. Ultimately, is stricken with leprosy. Ultimately, again, sure enough, they looked, and they found that there was leprosy on the animal. So we'll say this is interesting. In other words, Rav Sheshes did not want to come straight out and say, hey, the reason I didn't eat the meat was because, ultimately, again, you tried to kill me with a choking hazard. Either because, perhaps, they could feign ignorance, or B, because, well, say, remember, again, with the Reish Kalusa, you have to be very careful. You have to be very, very careful. And the servants of the Reish Kalusa were often very powerful people in their own right. So Rosh just had to navigate this carefully. So instead of, instead of making an accusation that they tried to kill him, instead he said, you know what, I tasted it, I tasted a leprosy, miracle happened, sure enough, they found spots of leprosy. Okay, story's not over. Kikanafik. So finally, Rav say, Rav Sheshis is leaving. And by the way, how is he leaving? Hungry, right? Because remember again, the first batch of food, no good, Avram Achai. Second batch of food, wouldn't eat it because of the choking hazard. So now he's leaving. I will say, now watch this. So, Karile Bira, Vishalev Tesa. And I will say, an important piece of the story, Rav Sheshes was blind. Rav Sheshes was blind. Which is the other reason they thought they could get him ultimately with the choking hazard. So I will say, so now, now if you can imagine, the servants of the Rish Kalusa are totally fed up with him. So they want to be done with him. So what do they do? An interesting plan. They dug a deep pit. They covered it with a mat reed. Because they figured what happens. Rav Sheshis is blind. He's just going to walk, walk, walk right into this trap and fall to his death. So as they're leading Rav Sheshis up, they said, you know what? Why don't you come over here and rest a little bit before you leave? Before you leave. And their goal was to have him walk literally right over the mat reed, fall into the pit, and die. Nochar lay Ravchista me'achore. So I will say, ultimately, again, Ravchista, Nochar literally means like snorted. Ravchista snorted from behind, from behind Ravsheshes. So he made like a startling sound. He made a startling sound. So this caused Ravsheshes to pause. This caused Ravsheshes to pause. So the Gemara says, so Rashi says over here, Ravchista asulo simin. Now I will say, so okay, we'll come, we'll come out in just a moment. So not Nachli Ravchista, Mechore, Amrele the Yinuka. So Rosheshis stops. Rosheshis stops. 
There had to have been a child in proximity. And Rav Shesha says to the child, tell me, what are you learning? Tell me the Pasek, the Pasek that you're learning in Cheder. So Amrle, Neteilacha al Yemincha o al Smolcha. The Pasek he was saying, I will say, which from Shul Beis, what does the Pasek say? Pasek said, go to your left or go to your right. Just don't what? Just don't what? Don't go straight. Right? Amrle, Lisham E, my Kachazis. So Shesha says to his attendant, what do you see in front of you? Amrle, Tzifsa de Shadja. Says, I see a reed mat on the ground. Amrle, Hadramine. See, you know what? Let, let, let's go around this. Let's go around this. See, he averted the trap. So the Basar Dinaf, like after left Havayada. So Rav Chista, Shabbo say, now here's what's interesting. Rav Chista was one of the Gemara says who snorted. Now, what's interesting about this is as follows. Did Rav Chista know what was happening or not? Right? So the story makes a little bit more sense if you say Rav Chista knew what was happening and he started. But I will say, but there's also, you could also read this story as I'm saying that Rav Chista did not know what was happening. He just was, you know, sometimes people just make loud noises, right? I don't know, he was blowing his nose, right? Or he was coughing or he just, whatever, he was clearing his throat. So he just made a loud noise. So I will say, if you go with this idea that Rav Chista did not know what was happening, so literally again at the moment, at the moment that Rav Sheshes is walking, so Rav Chista goes ahead and makes this loud noise, makes this loud noise. It causes Rav Sheshes to pause. Number one, you snorted. Second of all, again, the kid, right? When I ask the kid what he's learning, and he tells me this passage, go on the left and go on the right. Furthermore, the servants of Rish Kalusa, they've already tried to literally, again, kill me once, give me Avram and Achai a different time. So pretty much, if you could imagine, like my antennas are up, right? I'm up kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit choshish. I will say, by the way, I just will point out, if you go with the, if you go with the understanding of the story, the Rav Chista did not know what was going on. So just it happened to be, he, whatever, he coughed, he sneezed, he snorted right at that moment. So I will say, the godless of Rav Sheshis is like this. Whenever Rav Sheshis understood, whenever something out of the ordinary happens in life, you have to pause and wonder what it is that's going on. I will say, you know, the Bashant of HaKadosh brings down, he says, a person only sees what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to see in this world. And you only hear what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to hear. So anything that happens to us in life that, we're, that we experience is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to broadcast us a message. The difference is that often in life we just go through life oblivious to those things happening around us, so we miss messages all of the time. But someone like Rav Shesha, who ultimately, besides the fact that since he's blind, his other senses are obviously again heightened, but Lamaisa more than that, on a deeper level, understood there's nothing that's random. See, even again, you're walking out of the house of the Reish Galusa, and a loud sound, a cough, a sneeze, a snort comes along. Rav Sheshes lived life in such a way that everything, everything that happens in this world is a simon from Hashem. So stop and take stock. What was the simon of the snort? He didn't know. Simon of the snort, right? He didn't know. But Lamaisa, what, what did he know? What did he know? Stop for a moment and figure out what is happening around you. Both say, imagine if we lived life like that. They're recognizing that Kosh Baruch who talks to us in so many different ways. Just stop and try to listen to what the message is. Incredible. Now let's say, now I begin. Asisi li sarna misados. 
V'tanugos b'nei Adam. Shida v'shidos. So Bosei says, what, is, what does this mean? So this is Shlomo HaMalach in Kohalas talking about the various things that he had in this world. So the Gemara says, Sarim v'saros. What does that mean? Ela mine zemer. This refers to different types of instruments that Shlomo HaMalach had. V'tanugos b'nei Adam. Pleasures that people have. Elu brechos u'merchatzos. This refers to pools and bathhouses. Shlomo HaMelech enjoyed all of these things. Shida v'shidos. What's Shida v'shidos? Here we explain Shida v'shidosin. Male demons and female demons. Okay? B'marava amri shidisa. Ultimately in Eretz Yisrael they explain this as chariots. Am Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said, There were 300 different types of shadim in the city of Sichin. Rabbi Yochanan said, despite the fact that there were so many shadim in the city of Sichin, I still don't really know what a shade is. See, Rabbi Yochanan <laughs> to kind of highlight this, we'll, 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 we'll see what this means just a little bit. Aramar, Hachar Targimo, Shida Vashidisim. So Shlomalech is essentially saying, I had all of these things in this world, right? I had all of these pleasures, all of these things, and I also had dominion over the Shadim. So Gemara says, why does Shlomo HaMelech need dominion over the Shadim? So here Gabba says, incredible. So listen to this. Shlomo HaMelech, has the great zuchos to build the base Hamikdash. So I will say, first of all, what a what a beautiful zuchos it is to learn a gemara about the building of the base Hamikdash on the week of Tishavov. On the week of Tishavov, we're all getting all excited about the shadim. Before we even get to the shadim, this is the story of the building of the base Hamikdash. Incredible. This, I think, the fact that we're doing this gemara in this week foreshadows that there are great things ahead for us. So the gemara says as follows: So is a problem. The base Hamikdash has to be built from stone. And obviously, I will say, when you quarry stones, so remember again, stones are, you're quarrying raw stones. You obviously have to cut them down to size. What's the problem? The problem, I will say, is you can't use metal. Now, let's talk about this just a moment. Really, the Iker Halacha is, you can't use metal on the stones of the Mizbeach. That's really what you can't use, right? So, Shlomo Melech seemingly like, kind of globalized this concept and said, ideally, ideally, we shouldn't use stone, we shouldn't use metal for any stones. For any stones, right? And all the stones used in the base Hamikdash should be cut without metal. So Shlomo says, how do you cut stones without metal? Amrulei Iko Shemira. There is the Shamir. But remember again, we already learned about the Shamir. We already learned about the Shamir. Where? Mesech Sota. Right? Remember again, we already learned about Mesech Sota. By, by the Choshen, by the breastplate of the Kohen God. Remember again, you have to engrave the names. Remember again, Rashi quotes this whole thing. Remember again, what did we see? What was the problem? You can't chisel the names of the Shvatim into the stones of the breastplate. Why? Because if you chisel, what do you do? Right? You're diminishing the stone. So how did they do it? They did the Shamir. Remember again, the Gemara Sechisot says, they traced the name of each Shevet, and the Shamir, this creature, followed the tracing. So we'll say, what does the Shamir do? Essentially, the Shamir, the Shamir depresses the stone, causing the names to be there. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Shamira, Moshe la'avne eifod. So Shlomo says, okay, where can I get me a Shamir? Right, right, you know, where, where, where does one pick one of those up? Where does one get a Shamir? To which the Gemara says, 
You need to go ahead and get a shida and a shid, right? Get, get a male shade and a female shade, rough them up a little bit, right? Apply a little pressure, and they'll, they'll spill the beans about where the shamir is. So what happens? Well, so that what happens? He gets, a, he gets a shade, a female shade and a male shade, applies a little pressure. What do they say? They say, we don't know anything. But, Dilma Ashmedai Malka Deshida Yada. Maybe Ashmedai. Maybe Ashmedai. Ultimately, again, the king of the Shadim, maybe he knows. Okay? Amr Lahu Hechi Isi. Where could I find Ashmedai, the king of the Shadim? We're supposed to get ready for this story. Amr so listen to this. They said, so this is now the, this, this regular, essentially what Shlomo did is, Shlomo, Shlomo turned. He turned Shadim, right? This is like the first, uh, you know, witness protection program, right? So he turned them, right? So they, they go ahead and they give up their king. Where could we find the king? Amr Isi Betura Plan. They said he lives by a particular mountain, right? So here's what you need. So Ashley so lives by a mountain. He has dug for himself a pit in which he keeps water. So what's what does he do? He covers up his, his pit, his water. In order to well, he dug a well for himself. See, so he went ahead and he filled up, right? He dug a pit, he filled it up with water. But he sealed up his pit and he puts a seal on it, right? He literally seals it up with clay. And he puts his seal on it to make sure that no one tampers with his water. The Choyoma, I will say, what does Ashmedai, the king of Shadim, do? The Choyoma, Salak Larakia, every single day he goes up to Shamayim, the Garmasifta Larakia. We'll say he learns, he learns in the morning, right? The first thing he does is he goes up and he learns in the heavenly academy. The Masifta Larakia. Then, the Nochis La'ara, the government sifted the Ara. So, it says incredible. So, morning Seder, right? First Seder, Ashmadai goes and he learns in the Yeshiva Shalmala. Second Seder, he comes down to earth and he learns here in the Yeshiva over here on earth. It's a lot of traveling. He gets thirsty. So, what happens? He goes to his, to his pit. He examines his seal to make sure it's intact. He uncovers it. He drinks. Then he covers it back up. And then he goes in, he covers it back up, puts back his seal, and then he moves on with his day. Say, this is how Ashmedai, the king of Shadim, spends his day. So what does he do essentially the entire day? He's learning. In the morning in Shamayim, in the afternoon on earth. So the Gemara says, so what happens? So Shlomo decides to send Ben Yehoyada. So what's this? Now obviously, again, what does Shlomo need? What's Shlomo's goal? He wants to capture Ashmedai, the king of the Shadim. We'll say, to be clear, not because he's looking to rule over the Shadim. He just needs a piece of information from Ashmedai as to where to get the Shamir. So what happens? He sends Ben Yehoyada. So we'll say, Ben Yehoyada was the head of the Sanhedrin, also the head of Shlomo Alech's armies. So Yehoyavlei, Shushilta Dechalkik Aleishem. He gave Ben two things. Number one, a chain with the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on it, and a ring with the name of Hashem as well. And I will say, why does he need both of these things? So the Mashal comments over here, the Mashal says, so I should tell you two Mashals. First of all, the Mashal says, the fact that Ashmedai, the king of Shadim, drinks water, so ultimately, again, the, the Mashal says, teaches us, Shadim, Shadim, he says, he says, drink 
eat and die like regular people. So that's, that's the opinion of the Marashah, that they have these human qualities that literally, again, they eat, they drink, they die. Why did Ashmedai put a seal on his pit of water? Why did he put a seal there? What was he afraid of? What was he afraid of? Someone poisoning him, right? I guess being the king of Shadim, I guess, has perks, but it also maybe makes you unpopular in the eyes of some. So I will say, so, that, so Marashah says, why else is he putting a seal? Why else is he putting a seal ultimately again over his water? So the Marashah, you see, you see from here that they eat, they drink, and they die like regular people. So therefore, again, the chain is obviously there to capture Ashmedai. What about the ring? So the ring is there for personal protection of Ben Ayo, Ben Yehoyada. Okay, so what happens? Well, it's incredible. So what happens? So, so Shalom gives him a chain that has the name of Hashem, a ring that has the name of Hashem, the Gavavei Da'amra, balls of wool. You'll see why. Vizik Dechamra, and skins of wine. Wine skins. And there's bottles of wine. Azul, so we'll say, listen to this plan. Listen to that. How do you capture Ashmedai, the king of Shadim? So this is incredible. Azul kara bira mitasoi. So first of all, so the part that Gemara skips over here is, Ben Yada found the home of Ashmedai, right? He finds, he finds the pit that Ashmedai stores his drinking water in. So what does Ben Yada do? So he finds the pit. He digs a lower pit. So essentially what he does, Bosa is ingenious. He digs a lower pit and he bores into the pit of Ashmedai from below. So what does he do? First thing he does, he drains Ashmedai's pit. Okay. And then after he does that, and, and, he, and he plugs up the hole though with this tuft of wool, with these balls of wool. Okay, that's step one. Step two, then what did he do? He digs a second pit. This second pit, I will say, was at an elevation that was higher than Ashmedai's pit. So essentially what he does is, if you could imagine, he digs a higher pit and drills into the side of Ashmedai's pit. What does he fill Ashwadai's pit with? Wine. After he finishes, he plugs up the hole. So Rabbi says, now there's no evidence that ultimately, again, that Ben Yoyada was ever there. But now at this point, then what he's done is he's drained the water, replaced it with wine. What does he do? Now goes up, sits in the tree. Sits in the tree waiting to see what is going to unfold. Kiasa, so now Ashmedai comes down from the, from the Masifta Dirakia, he comes down from learning in Shamayim. Sairi Lugushpanka, he examines his seal to make sure that it is intact. Galye, and he says, so seal is intact, he opens it up. Ashkechei Chamra, he sees that now his pit is filled with wine. Okay, so Amar Ksiv leits hayayin homa shechar, the Choshogeba lo yach kamuksiv. Ashwadai says, you know what? Wasn't incredible. Ashwadai, the king of Shadim, says, you know what? Wine isn't good for you. Wine isn't good for you. Wine makes people do foolish things. So Ashwadai, again, therefore feels, Ashwadai feels that he is not going to go ahead and drink this wine, right? Wine makes a person do foolish things. If you drink, you're not going to become wise. Right? Wine makes people do immoral things. So therefore, I will say he figures he is not going to go ahead and, and, and drink it. I will say, what's the problem? He became thirsty. He became thirsty. He couldn't hold himself back. And I will say, by the way, the Marashah points out, what did Ashmedai think happened over here? So the Marashah points out, Ashmedai thought it was a miracle. He thought it was a miracle that a Kudush Baruch who turned his water to wine, 
He thought it was a miracle. But I was about how incredible is it that Ashmedai himself wants to go ahead and display restraint and doesn't want to drink the wine. Obviously, I will say this, this is the only source that he drinks from. Right? There's nothing else to drink from right now. So Lamaisa, again, he held that as long as he could. But at a certain point, he can't anymore. So what does he do? Ishti, he drank. He drank. So Rava, he got drunk. Vigana. And ultimately, he fell asleep. Nochis asa shada shushilta sasme. So what happens? After he falls asleep, and Ayab and comes down from the tree, throws the, throws the chain around Ashmadai and closes the chain on Ashmadai. Ki isar, when Ashmadai woke up, hava kamifrazal, he was thrashing around. Armale, shma demarach aloch, shma demarach aloch. So when Ayyad says to Ashmadai, there is no point in trying to escape. The name of your master, i.e., the name of Akadish Baruch, was upon you. The name of Akadish Baruch was Ashmadai, you're captured. Okay? So we'll say, so what happens? So, Kinnakid lay. So, therefore, again, we'll say, if you can imagine the scene, Ben Yehoyada is leading Ashmadai, the king of Shadim, back to Shlomo HaMelech. So, what happened? Kinnakid lay, Asi Mata Dikla, Chaf Peshaje. As they're walking, Ashmadai brushed against the palm tree, and the palm tree was uprooted. Mata Lebesa, Shaje, he brushed against the house, the house came down. Mata Gabe Kuba Dahu Armalta. They were about to pass by a hut of a widow, right? A small hut of a widow. Nafka Amadez Ichanina Lay. So what happens? This widow who owned this little hut, she's watching what's happening here, right? And she sees that what? She sees that Ashmedai went ahead and already knocked down a palm tree, knocked down a house. Uh, knocked down a house. She realizes that her house, is, her hut is in the way, and Ashmedai is, is going to go ahead and knock it down as well. So, so she comes out and she begs Ashmedai not to knock down her hut. So Ashmedai bent his body. And he broke a bone. He broke a bone. So apparently what happened over here is he contorted his body in such a way so as not to go ahead and brush up against the hut of this widow. But as a result of contorting his body, he went ahead and he broke a bone. What's incredible? First of all, I'll say, what's incredible? See, what's so tricky about this whole Gemara? I mean, there's a lot that you read this Gemara. What's fascinating about, say, in general about our conception of Shadim is what are they? Who are they? Are they good? Are they bad? Right? So, we'll say, so again, what you see here is something amazing. So you would think Ashwadai, right? Because also, the way we translate Shadim is demons, right? So again, our, our association just with the English word of a demon is like bad, is bad. It, it is interesting to see over here, first of all, Ashmedai is spending his entire day learning Torah. But I just want to point out, remember, he goes up to the Masifta Derakiah, to the heavenly, heavenly, heavenly yeshiva. We'll say, if he's going up there, what else does that mean? He's going up there and what? They're letting him in. We'll say, they're letting him in. The fact that they're letting him in means that not everybody gets, gets in there. So they're letting him in, which is incredible. The fact that he displays this incredible, this incredible um, compassion towards this Amana is incredible. So again, this, this, this is the peculiar, peculiar, peculiar nature of Shadim, which again, we'll talk about. Amen. The Gemara says as follows. What's the meaning of the Pasuk? In Mishlei, that a soft word could break bones. Now, really what Shlomo HaMelech meant when he said that is that sometimes, sometimes, 
right? You can accomplish so much more with a soft word than you can with brute force. But here again, what, what Ashwadai says, this meaning of the Pasuk, the soft word, the supplications of the Salman, oh, caused me to go ahead and literally contort my body and break a bone. Incredible. So I will say, so now the story goes on. So they're traveling. As they're traveling, they see a blind man who is, who's lost on the road. Ashmedai helped the guy get on the right path. They saw a drunk guy who was lost on the road. Ashmedai helped the guy get on the right path. They saw a wedding celebration where everybody was celebrating. Ultimately, Ashmedai began to cry. They, he saw a guy, we'll explain all these behaviors later on. So he saw, he heard, they're, they're walking, they see a guy, he hears a guy that says to the shoemaker, Make for me shoes that will last for seven years. Ultimately, Ashmedai laughed. Ultimately, again, they saw a sorcerer who was a... Uh, Sorcinating, you know, whatever, whatever, right? He was, uh, right, he was doing his ach, right? So what happened? Ultimately, again, Ashmedai laughed. Ashmedai laughed. So Shabbat says, so now, fine, they make it to the palace of Shlomo HaMelech. We'll explain all of these behaviors afterwards. When they make it to the palace of for the first three days, they did not bring Ashmedai before Shlomo HaMelech. So Yom HaKamo, so the first day that they're there, first day that they're there, so, Ash, so again, Ashmedai, Ashmedai figures, right, whatever I'm here for, let, let's get it done. So he's there day one. He says, why have you not brought me before the king? So he said, the king drank a little bit too much. King is a shtekel hungover, right? He can't see you today. So what did Ashmedai do? Ashmedai took a brick, and he put it on top of another brick. So obviously Ashmedai was trying to convey a message, but no one knew what the message was. They told Shlomo what Ashmedai did. So ultimately, again, so apparently what Ashmedai was saying is, it's actually interesting advice, the best way to combat a hangover is drink more. Right? That was the symbolism of putting one brick on top of the other brick. You know, feed it, feed it, and, and ultimately, again, you'll be better. So, Amr Luhu, so the Gemara says, next, Lamachar, day two. Amr Luhu, Malka, why is the king not seeing me? Ashmedai says, Amr Ansei Michla, the king ate a little too much. King ate a little too much. And ultimately, again, I'll say, I, I, just, I just want to point out, I just want to point out these details about Shlomo HaMelech are incredibly relevant for the story. It's not just haphazard. Day one, he drank a little too much. Day two, he ate a little too much. What's the picture that's being painted over here? What's the picture? A bit too much overindulgence. They hold on to that because especially when we look at this story through the lens of the Maral, who understands this entire story as a metaphor, is going to be an incredibly important detail. We'll come back to it. We'll first, we'll say, today, today our goal is just to do the story. That's our goal. Fine. Next, I'll say, what did, after hearing this, what did I do? He took one brick, right? So remember again, from the previous day, you had one brick on top of the other. What does he do? He takes off a brick, puts it down on the ground. They came and they told this to Shlomo. Apparently, if you overeat, the way to deal with that is 
eat less the next day. That was symbolized by the removal of the, of the brick. So what happened? After three days, or on, or on the third day, they finally brought Ashmedai to see Shlomo. First thing Ashmedai does, He took a reed, he measured four amas, cut it off, and threw it before Shlomo. I'm sorry, he says, just know, when you die, all you will possess in this world are your Dalit Amos. I will say the Dalit Amos refers to a burial space, right? We have a concept that mace, so we'll say, so Ashmedai was giving Shlomo incredible musr. You know, King, you think you have everything, right? You have a lot to eat, you have a lot to drink, you have power over everything. Just know one day, you will leave this world. And when you leave this world, you take nothing with you. You don't take any of the wealth, you don't take any of the riches, you don't take any of your power. All you have when you leave this world are the Dalit Amas that your corpse occupies. Hashtag Alma, Shlomo. You've conquered everything. You have to conquer me also. In other words, Ashwadai is offended. Right? In other words, why can't you leave me alone? You, you, you have dominion over everything. You won't be able to have dominion over me as well. So to which Shlomo says, Ashwadai, I'm not looking to subjugate you. I just need something from you. I am tasked with building a Besamikdash and I need the Shamir. To which Ashmedai says, the Shamir has not been given to me. Rather, it's been given ultimately again to the Sara the Yama, to the, to the, to the, to the master of the sea. Say, there is a concept, there's a concept that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has ministering angels who he puts in charge of different things. Sara the Yama, the Pashtus refers to the Malach, who's in charge of the sea. And I will say, ultimately, again, the only person or the only entity that Hashbarah gives the Shamir to, or the Sarad Yama gives the Shamir to, is to the wild hen, to the wild rooster. Wild rooster. So the Gemara says, say, Why? Because everyone knows the wild rooster is good to its word. When it borrows something, it's always going to give it back. Umay Avid Bey, what does the rooster do with the Shamir? Mematia they tour the last page. Listen to what I say. So the rooster he takes the shamir to a mountain top where there is no habitation or vegetation. And what happens? Umarach leashina de tura upaka tura. So and takes the shamir, puts it on the top of the mountain. Now what happens when you put a shamir on top of the mountain? It splits open the mountain. Upaka tura umanket maisi bezroni meilani b'shadi hasam. Then it takes all different kinds of seeds from different forms of vegetation, throws it into the cleft of the mountain. Vahavi yishul. And over time, what happens? The barren mountain becomes, becomes inhabited, right? The barren mountain is then covered with vegetation. Incredible. So Nagartura. And this is why ultimately, again, they often call the wild rooster Nagartura, the splitter of mountains. Splitter of mountains. We'll say it's just also incredible to think about, by the way. 
there are so many things that happen in this world. Like we think we have our finger on the pulse of everything that happens. And meanwhile, again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world with so many other processes that we're never even aware of, right? This, this Sarad Yama, the master of the sea, has the Shamir, gives the Shamir to the wild rooster. And what is the wild rooster in charge of? It's right. Baruch is in charge of creating, creating habitation where there's only desolate area. Incredible. Okay, so now Baruch says, so now they need to find the wild rooster. So, but kokina de Tarnagola, bro, the ispe bunny, the chafuah lekine zugisa chiyurte. So I say, so listen to this. So they found the nest of a wild rooster. What did they do? While the, while the mother rooster or the father rooster was away, so what happens? They, so the, and the young were in the nest. They put glass over the nest. So what happens? The rooster comes back. He also, So now the rooster came back. The rooster wanted to get to its young, but it couldn't because of the glass. So what did it do? Ozel Icy Shamira. It went to go borrow the shamir, right, to get it right from the sardiyama in order to cut through the glass. So again, so the rooster goes to get the shamir, comes back with the shamir, comes back with the shamir, puts the shamir on the glass to break open the glass. As the rooster is doing this, Shlomo's there, Shlomo's there, where or his guys are there, they make a loud sound and they grab, right, the rooster runs away, they grab the shamir. Shajie, shakle, azer, so we'll say azle. So what happens? They grab, right, they grab the, sh- grab the shamir, and ultimately again, now they have it. We'll say the rooster, having realized that ultimately again it lost the shamir, chanak nafshe ashvuase. The rooster killed itself, the rooster killed itself, realizing that it would be unable to fulfill its promise. We'll say that's how seriously the rooster takes its word, takes its commitment. Ultimately, again, realizing it lost the Shamir, would be unable to return it to Sarad Yama, kills itself. So, okay, so I'm really the So, I'll say, so now, again, so now, good news is, Shlomo has the Shamir. Okay, so now, I'll say, the story's paused here with Shlomo just a little bit. Now, I'll say, I'm really Ben So, I'll say, Ben now is having a conversation with Ashmedai. And he says to Ashmedai, can you explain your behaviors when we were traveling to the palace? My So first says to Ashmedai, Ashmedai, why is it that when you saw the blind man who was lost, you helped him? You helped him. Because again, I heard about, remember again, Ashmedai travels to the celestial sphere. So he said, I heard them announce in the heavens that ultimately this blind man is a big tzaddik, right? And whoever helps him will have a portion in the world to come. So I said, I heard this. I wanted a chaperain. And therefore I helped the which by the way also tells you, goes with this idea, like the Marshal said, that shadim, eat, drink, live, die. And as such, Ashwadai himself also has a vested interest in securing for himself a portion in the world to come. Why is it so the drunk guy wandering around lost that you helped him get on the right path? They announced about this guy in Shamayim, in the Rakiyam, in Celestial Abode, the Rasha Gomerhu. So ultimately, again, and I gave him benefit in this world. Because, you know, even the greatest Rasha has certain Zuhuyos. Ashmedai said, I gave him some benefit in this world by helping him out. This way, again, he would have no portion in the world to come. Okay? Why is it when we passed by the wedding celebration, you cried? Why, Ashmedai, why did you cry? Why did you cry? 
Ashadai said, I saw prophetically that the Chassan was going to die within three days. And ultimately, again, his surviving brother, because the wife would have to do Yibam, the surviving brother was very young, and she was going to have to wait 13 years in order to be able to do, to do Yibam. So I must say, also interesting, right? The empathy that Ashmedai has towards this woman who's going to lose her husband in just a few days, and then be locked, be locked waiting for Yibam. My time ki shamati lahu gavra, why is it that when you heard the guy asking the shoemaker for shoes that would last for seven years, why did you laugh? This guy doesn't have seven days. Does he need shoes for seven years? I will say, what a profound, profound Gemara. Now, again, whether Ashmedai was actually saying this guy was going to die in seven years, the Marshal says, the Marshal seems to understand that Ashmedai was more laughing at the fallacy of control of the human condition, right? What he was saying ultimately again was people, he's like, Ashmedai says, I don't get these people, right? Human beings operate as if they have some type of secure, guaranteed future, right? As if you need shoes that'll last for seven years when you literally don't know what's going to happen in the next seven days. We'll say a very, a very profound Gemara, right? We, we all struggle with this. On one hand, not to plan for the future is reckless and irresponsible. But on the other hand, to only plan for the future and not to go ahead and pay attention to the present is equally as reckless as respond- and irresponsible. We don't know what the future holds. Therefore, I will say again, the only thing we know we have right now is the present. That's why, again, so much of life is about maximizing the present because it's the one thing you have in front of you and the one guarantee you have anything past the present moment, you absolutely have no idea what life is going to bring you away. That's what I will say. The Gemara says, Don't say when I have time, I will learn because perhaps you will not have time. Never go ahead and kick down the road things that need to get done now. For one never knows what the future will bring. So actually, I was laughing about this. Really? You need shoes that are going to last for seven years? Tell me. What's happening in seven minutes from now? What's happening in seven days from now? Don't worry about shoes that are going to last for seven years, but rather worry about maximizing the present moment. So profound. So the Why is it that when you saw that sorcerer, sorcerer rising, that you were going, that you were laughing? Amrale, let's listen to this. To have Yosef Abe Gaza de Malka Lixo Maidi Ika to say. Now let's say, listen to this. Because he saw this sorcerer. What is this sorcerer trying to figure out? He's also trying to figure out all the secrets of the universe. Meanwhile, Ashmedai is laughing because he doesn't realize that guy is sitting right on top of buried treasure of the king. Right? He should stop sorcerizing about what's going to happen in the future, right? And start thinking about literally again right, what's right underneath him. I would say, by the way, that's also, it's, it's the same motif. It's the same motif. Why, what's the sorcerer trying to do? The sorcerer trying to figure out uh, the, the, hidden, the hidden things, right? The hidden information, the future. You're sitting right on top of buried treasure, right? I will say, what, what an incredible metaphor for life. How often in life are we sitting on top of buried treasure, right? There are opportunities right in front of us. There are brachas right in front of us. But often again, my head is over here, my head is over there, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that, I'm worried about the future. And meanwhile, again, the buried treasure, the buried treasure is literally right underneath me. 
but I'm so preoccupied with so many other things that I don't see the beautiful treasure, literally, literally, that is right underneath me. So I'm saying, I guess the difference between shadim and people, difference between shadim and people, is that people are often myopic and only see, or I should say, often miss to see what is right in front of them. Shadim, maybe because they have the ability to travel between heaven and earth, have the ability to see things in a much more global way. So Ashmadai finds himself laughing, right, at the short-sighted nature of the human condition. People sacrificing a present for some future they may or may not know. People trying to find the brachas all around them, when in fact the brachas are literally right in front of my, right, right in front of me in that present moment. Human beings often miss the present reality in search of some greater future. The Shadim see this and they laugh at the short-sighted nature of the human condition. It's incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. So what happened? So now Shlomo kept Ashmedai with him until the Beis Hamikdash was built. Okay. So we'll say one day Shlomo and Ashmedai were alone with each other. My Rabu Saichuminan. So Shlomo will say now now they're talking. Shlomo says to Ashmadai, Ashmadai, why are you guys greater than us? Right? What makes Shadim superior to people? So we'll say, by the way, we the reader of this Kimara already know. We just saw what makes Shadim greater than people on the most basic level say is what? Is the, is their vision, their life vision. Okay, but what makes you greater? So this is what's incredible. You know this is gonna go badly. Amrale, Shakil Shushil Taminoi, Vahavli is Kasach, Vahli Rabusai. Such this is, you know what, do me a favor, take off my chain, give me your ring, and I'll show you what makes us greater than you. Shakli l'shushil tamine. So we'll say, now here's what's interesting. Shlomo took off the chain, and he gave him the ring, and we'll say, what did Ashmadai do? Balei. Ashmadai swallows up Shlomo HaMelech. He swallows up, we'll say, now why did Shlomo do this? See, we'll say, this is interesting. Shlomo thought they had a relationship. Right after all, again, we spent all this time together. Right, you helped us. So he, it's actually interesting. He actually thought they had a relationship. Ashbadai was like, are you kidding? You have me in a chain. We don't have a relationship. Right, I'm your servant. So at the moment that Ashbadai had the ability to gather, he did. So he swallows up Shlomo. Now apparently Shadim have wings also. He went ahead and he literally again, I will say if you can imagine, it's almost like he's positioning himself. Right, he positioned one wing in Shamayim, one wing on the earth, Paske Arba Mea Parske, and he spit Shlomo HaMelech out a distance of 400 parsos. So we'll say, see now Shlomo HaMelech is out of the kingdom. Now, the, now we'll say, in, in, concurrently, Ashmedai assumes the form of Shlomo HaMelech. He makes himself look like the king. So he shaita to Amr Shlomo, Ma Yisrona Adam Mechalam, Olo Shia Amaltach Asashemesh. Vezaya Chalki Mikalam Ali. So we'll say, at this point, if you can imagine, by the way, Shlomo HaMelech is expelled to some foreign land 400 parasols away, and it's during this time in his life that he wrote in Kohalas, what benefit is there man, what benefit does man have from all of his toil underneath the sun? The Zaya Chalkimikot, because we'll say now, Shlomo HaMelech essentially went from ruling over everything to being an anonymous no one in the middle of nowhere. 
So we'll say all he had with him was either his staff or his cloak. So we'll say Shlomo was literally a beggar. He was going door to door. And whenever he went, And wherever he would go, he'd say the same thing. By the way, it's me. It's me. It's Shlomo. Right? I'm Koheles. I'm Koheles. I was king in Yerushalayim. So we'll say, so obviously everyone thinks that he's a knot. Right? He's going door to door. He's got nothing but a staff, nothing but a cloak, claiming that it's Shlomo. Kimata Gabe Sanhedrin, Omra Bonamichti Shota Bechad Musalo Sarach. So, my high. So, I say, I said, usually crazy people don't keep repeating the same thing over and over. So, there's this guy claiming to be Shlomo. He's repeating the same thing over and over and over. So, they said, what's up with this? There must be something to this. So, I said to Benayo, Benayo, has the king called for you at all? Kasi, right? So the Gemara says, what happens? So I'm sorry. So low. So Menayo says, no, the king has not called me for a long time. They send word to the queen. Has the king come to you? In. Yeah, the king has come to us, has come to me. So the Gemara says, in Kasi, Shaukhuli bitku bekare. So they said to the queen, do me a favor, the next time the king comes to you, check his feet. Check his feet. They will say, apparently, again, so Shay didn't have chicken feet. Shay didn't have chicken feet. Again, we'll discuss that more tomorrow. So Shalchaluhu, Bemuki Kasi, whenever the king comes to us, he's always wearing his socks. He never goes barefoot. Vikatavaluhu Benidu Sahu, Vikatavana Lamila Basheva Imei. And the king is exhibiting an unusually ravenous sexual appetite that he's propositioning all of his queens and his concubines, even when they're in Nida, and he even propositioned his own mother, his own mother. So we'll say, now the Sanhedrin realizes something is up. You have this guy who's in, we thought was a nut, who's telling everybody that he's Shlomo HaMelech. The king is asking, is acting in a very strange way. So ultimately, what did they do? They called in Shlomo. They gave him a chain with the name of Hashem, a ring with the name of Hashem. He comes in, Shlomo comes in, Rabbi confronts Ashmedai, Ki Ayo Chazye Parach. Ultimately, Ashmedai sees the real Shlomo. What does he do? He flies away. He flies away. So Rabbi Osai, so I will say, we'll pause over here for just a moment. I will say, what, I, what, what to do with this whole story? I'll say, I, I will just say, with this, we have to end now, but I will just say something amazing. Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating, I will say, that ultimately, again, the way we're introduced to Ashmedai is how does he spend his days? How does he spend his days? He spends his days ultimately, again, morning Seder in Yeshiva Shalmala, afternoon Seder in a Yeshiva Shalmata, Right? All right. All, and again, helping people, empathy. And yet again, when he assumes the form of Shalom Elech, what what's the hallmark of his behavior? This ravenous, this ravenous, carnal, lustful appetite. So let's say, I was thinking about this yesterday. What's the shot? Let's say, if you look at the name Ashmedai, Ashmedai. So let's say, what is Ashmedai? It's Ash Midai. It's too much passion. Too much passion. See, I both say, on one hand, an Ashmedai personality manifests itself in a ravenous appetite for Torah. Right? Ultimately, again, he's learning in the morning, he's learning in the afternoon. And I both say, then, when he assumes Shlomo Melech's terms, what is he doing? A ravenous appetite for intimacy, 
Right? The rabbit is, it's Eish Midai. Sirabos said the difference between Shadim, you know what the real difference between Shadim and people is? Shadim are too much passion. Shadim are too much passion. You see, the godless of being a human being, of being an Ish, is the ability to temper your Ish. Right? You remember, everyone say, what's Ish? What's Ish? Ish is the Ish with the Yud. It's passion, but it's tempered passion because I bring the Ribbono Shal Olam into my life. Difference between Eish and Shadim is Eish Midai. The Shadim have too much untempered passion, which causes them to behave in extreme ways. The greatness of us, the greatness of Anoshim, of Ish, is the ability to take all of the passions that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us, to temper them with a healthy dose of spirituality, to use them in a directed way for personalistic growth, but never to allow them to do that. say, Wow. We will have to stop over here for today. We're not finished. We're not finished yet. Emir Tzah Hashem. Emir Tzah Hashem. We'll say to be continued. Shkoyach.